right. So last week we were talking about uh, this 10K advisor thing, and we basically just made a bunch of stuff up because we didn't know anything about it. We were speculating and whatever. Wildly speculating. Yeah. Well, well, that's what we do. I mean, that's pretty much much what we do. So, uh, John, you decided to... You know, get I don't know responsible or, or well. Well, Nick, act- Nick actually pinged us and said, "Hey, you said a bunch of stuff that was wrong. <laughs> right. um, that's not what we do." Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, normally we don't do interview type things, and you know, this type of thing is um, even the, just the idea of like having a a vendor on or whatever is something we normally don't do. But since we probably got so many things wrong, it's only it's only fair that we uh, allow those guys to set the record straight. So, joining us right now is Nick Ham with 10k advisors what's up nick thank you very much guys yep. very kind of you to have me not a problem um yeah so um you know we had the episode last week and you know i guess you found out about it and and i'm sure we got a lot of things wrong and and um a lot of people in our site community and elsewhere that you know had some feedback and really just more questions and, and then there's a lot of these guys and gals who are you know in the in the salesforce ecosystem and a lot of them are Curious. Independent consultants and just curious and want yeah. to know more about it. So yeah, so we we're glad and you're a on. lot of us got 10k stickers at the MVP. Good, I'm going Lightning to Summit. I, I don't, I'm, yeah. I don't really know what it was, but it was something. Well, you told me it was not the it, summit. It was not a summit. <laughs> it was not a summit. <laughs> See, it's not a summit. Uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, it was basically airing of grievances time, uh, right in front of Salesforce project <laughs> yeah. or product manager. Now, so now, Nick, are you an MVP? Were you there? He is. Okay. Yeah. And and so this is funny because Nick, I yeah, I I don't think I've ever met you in person. Did we meet last year at Dreamforce? Yeah, I think we've probably followed each other on social media for I don't know ten years or yeah, so. Yeah, exactly. But, um, so yeah, yeah. So uh, you're one of these guys that I followed on Twitter forever, and you know I know your name, and I'm probably even you're connected on LinkedIn. Uh, in fact, which, I'm is, not. which is funny because so it asked me if I wanted <laughs> if I if I should ask Jeremy to to introduce us. You know, the funny part of that is I don't even use LinkedIn. I mean, I, I, every once in a while, like maybe once every two or three years, I'll log in and I'll accept you know, invitations or whatever. I'm, I'm really bad at LinkedIn and and I definitely should get better, but I'm terrible about it. So that but it was funny when you, John informed me that I'm I'm LinkedIn with you. Um, and, you know, I wish there was a way when you follow well, someone I'm, on Twitter that you can put a little note like, here's I, here's why I'm following this person. Because sometimes I'm just like, why the hell am I following this jackass? You know, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember. Like, do I want to unfollow this person? Or like, especially during political season, it's like, okay, here we go. Here we go with the unfollows. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious from, since since you were able to listen to the last episode, what you thought about um, our kind of feedback on the MVP Summit. All right, guys, I think I have you now. Oh, oh, did I, we lose you? I guess so. I, th- I thought I heard a little. I thought I heard yeah. something. and then. <laughs> so when did you drop off? Uh, we were, I think, talking about it being connected on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you oh, didn't okay. miss anything. Yeah. This is just Jeremy vamping about no, well, j- Twitter. and. Well, ask him your question again. You're, John was just asking, like, from bas- basically from what you heard on our last episode, like, uh, or no, about the MVP well, thing. Well, more specifically, I mean, right. since, since, That's right. since we're MVPs and, you know, we talked about that, and Jeremy was very passionate about that. <laughs> well, I was only passionate because you had just pissed me off about something else. So you, I, was, I was in a mood. He was in a mood. He had, <laughs> he had one too many. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, we got into kind of the value of the summit or not, not, well, let's stop calling it summit, the value of the event that we had where we got to get in front of project ma- product managers and, and give our feedback and, and just the kind of the, the honest feedback that did come out of that. And I guess Jeremy's point was, it's all nice and good, but it wasn't productive. It was, ac- it, maybe it wasn't actionable. I don't, I don't know. No, but, no, yeah. F- yeah. I think, you know, these events are maybe more, um, useful for that product management team than they are for the MVPs from a like outcomes perspective. And that's why Salesforce continues to put money into them. I'm sure, you know, because they do get valuable feedback from these events and um, you know, they basically have this community of passionate, you know, sometimes advocates, sometimes critics um, who can, you know, help them maybe discover a few new things, but also probably help prioritize where uh, you know, the most pain is in this instance, maybe. Um, and, and really get real feedback. I mean, I think from being an MVP perspective, the value of the event is really more around just connecting with your peers, right? And I think that's um, that's pretty valuable in itself. But uh, yeah, I think this event is really more is or as much for Salesforce as it is for the MVPs. Yeah, I, th- I think I found that too. It's, it's more about getting to meet everyone and talk to everyone, and then you know also getting to meet the product managers, getting to know them, getting to yeah, absolutely. 
Can you guys get, get me the name of the metadata API product manager? <laughs> <laughs> we can look that up. I need to <laughs> need to have a long discussion over drinks with this person. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy's had issues with it. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, t- so Nick, tell us, um, tell us, you know, what is 10K Advisors? You know, this is something I know you're involved with. You you help start what it is, or you know, what let what created the or what, what need did you guys see, and what are you solving? And just let's get started on on what yeah. when, when it is. Absolutely. So uh, I was fortunate enough, I think, like a lot of people, um, to fall into Salesforce about ten years ago, and uh, I actually started doing consulting when I started doing Salesforce. And um, over the last ten years or so, I've really seen a lot of people uh, kind of transition through their careers in Salesforce, and uh, you know whether they started as an admin or a consultant or um, uh, maybe on the periphery of Salesforce as like a business analyst or a, or a PM or something like that. And I've just you know uh, kind of growing up in the ecosystem and seeing the ecosystem evolve. I've seen especially recently. A lot of very talented folks, um, you know, either they're kind of hopping from job to job because, you know, as you guys know, the market's super hot and, and you can pretty much get a job anywhere if you have Salesforce on your resume. And so um, a, a lot of these folks, though, um, have gone out and then started doing independent consultant consulting or started their own small consultancies or, you know, they have a full time job, but they're doing uh, kind of work on the side on the weekends. It's a, I think it's very common in our ecosystem just because there is so much demand and so much opportunity out there. So, um, I, you know, prior to 10K, um, I had a company called Trekben, and that company we really worked mostly with Salesforce partners, so SIs, ISVs. Uh, we had you know kind of a small group of customers, uh, bigger customers that kind of had established Salesforce programs, and uh, you know, as part of that, what we were really helping partners with is uh, meet demand. I mean, the, the Salesforce partner ecosystem is is super hot too right and Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of acquisitions uh, especially in kind of middle tier consultancies by bigger tier consultancies and so there's this kind of void um in in the the middle uh and the few companies that can play well in that space and have established names and reputations and do good work uh are, are really busy and so they have the same problems with retaining talent as anybody else and if not more so and so what, what we started to kind of see is that, you know, we had an opportunity to um, take a lot of these folks who had gone out and done independent consulting or had started their own small consulting businesses and bring them into a community to really connect everybody together. And uh, so, you know, it, not just kind of the people who I'll call like the service delivery arm of, of our business, who are those independent consultants and small consultancies and folks doing side work, but uh, also the the partner ecosystem and, and to some extent the customer ecosystem as well. And so um, that's kind of the genesis of 10K where, you know, we really wanted to create that place to connect all of those people because we feel like, uh, you know, if you've, if you've done a, uh, if you've gone out and started your own company, gone out and done independent consulting and been uh, successful at that, you're probably pretty good at it. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a, a, a big indicator of quality talent which again, super hard to find in the ecosystem. So um, yeah, that's the vision of what we wanted to start. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of other things we want to do, but that's kind of the basics. So, so that sounds like the void that you're trying to solve for is that void where that, that kind of mid-level company that has a hard time finding resources. Cause you know, a lot of these partners, they're not they, resources, John, uh, sorry, they're people. <laughs> yeah. Don't use the R word. Jeremy doesn't like the R word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been conditioned by corporate America. I'm sorry. The resources comes out of me. <laughs> but, 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 you know, as, as these SIs, these partners, can they kind of grow their business or they merge with other companies? They, they get to the point where they stop taking work that's below a certain price point, you know, because sure. their teams are much larger. They have a process that they've, they've built up that requires, you know, five or 10 different people on the project minimum. Um, so, so is, is your kind of model about solving for that? Yeah, to some extent. So, uh, you know, I, I did some time at Aperio. I shouldn't say did some time. It was a, it was a good time. Great company, great experience. But oh, A little Freudian um, slip there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, actually, I learned a lot from, from Aperio and I uh, really respect those guys and, and what they're doing. But 
um, you know, they solve this problem in a very, uh, I think, unique way. Um, and, you know, I've taken some of those learnings and helped some of our partners kind of uh, understand how to uh, kind of work two models, right? Uh, you kind of, if you're, if you're doing huge million dollar projects, right, you're, you're staffing people full time for months at a time, right? And those people are, uh, you know, probably working on that project and that project only. If you are really playing in kind of the more, the smaller space of like, say, 20 to $200,000 projects, then those types of staffing models are not economical and they'll price you out and you basically won't get the business. And so uh, a lot of the bigger companies, the companies trying to move upstream who have traditionally played in kind of that middle space and, you know, now see an opportunity to start doing bigger and bigger deals. Um, you know, they, they have that problem. And so the, the key there is being able to take advantage of um, folks working on five projects or six projects or 10 projects as opposed to one and, and really having a, a leverage model of being able to use lower price resources to do most of the work. I mean, that's basically the only way that you can be competitive in that market unless you are an independent who can do it all, which there aren't that many of those. That just doesn't scale. So um, that's that's really the model that we've helped a lot of partners with. And the, the good part, or I guess the challenging part about that is, um, you know, when you have somebody staffed on a project for six months full time, it's very easy to predict what that person's going to be doing. You know, your utilization is easier to predict uh, in that respect. But if you have folks working on six projects that are all starting and stopping and ending at the same time, you actually have a harder time hitting your utilization targets. And it's just a, it's a lot more overhead to try to manage. And so what we're kind of bringing to the table is, um, you know, a, a model where partners can use people fractional amounts. They don't have to have a person full time, right? Maybe I have a person who, you know, does independent consulting, but they have like an extra 10 hours a week to, to dedicate to a project, right? Well, that could be perfect for this partner who needs somebody 10 hours a week to do this, this project, right? And they don't have to hire somebody and only use them 10 hours per week or try to find some way to fill up the rest of their time. So um, that's, that's really kind of the way that we've helped uh, some of our current partners solve that problem. Yeah, so so let's get into that. Let's get into kind of the meat of it because we've kind of talked high level about what the vision is, but I think what a lot of people want to know is I'm an independent, you know, how does that work? Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll introduce you, one of our mean, questions. You, you, you couldn't tell all of that from our website? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to, I want to say something. It was, it was actually really light on content. It was kind of high level. Um, and even the, the blog post that you pointed to, too, it kind of spoke to the overall vision and the high right. level of things, but we the, you know, I think the community as a whole, you know, we're hearing about 10K, but we really want details. We really want the meat of it. And there's people that sure. are interested, I think. Well, I want to say something before we dig in deeper, just about what Nick was just saying about this. I call it the, the fractured time model, or the, is that mm. a good word for it? Is that what I call it? It's this idea like that, that. <clears throat> that, you know, as, as an individual, I might have, if I don't have, you know, one, you know, year long, like say I'm not working on a, a, a year long uh, contract, right? Instead, I've got maybe three or four small projects that take up a portion of my time. Um, I, actually, the, when I talk about this model, the, the, the point I'm usually making is how that model sucks, right? Because you are constantly context switching. You're, instead of dealing with one set of contacts and, and people on a project, you're dealing with four or five sets of people on a project. Um, and, you know, you can look at the research on context switching to know that, you know, humans aren't good at it. We're not good at multitasking. We're not good at context switching. Uh, even, even people who think they are, they, you know, they, they can do the studies and find that really people just aren't good at this. Um, but the other problem that you have is that, you know, when you're trying to figure out, okay, you know, I've got this opportunity to, to add another project um, in a month. And now you have to figure out, okay, well, am I going to be done with these two other projects? Well, I think we're going to be done. But as you guys know, at least with, I think, especially on the software development side, like you really, I mean, it's not over until it's over and you really don't know when that's going to be, right? But you've got to book, you've got to start booking some work for this, this time out when you think you might be rolling off these other projects. But I mean, there's been times when I've booked another project thinking, okay, this other one's supposed to end in three weeks and it's another three months, right? Because it was an open-ended deal, it's agile, it's, you know, time and materials and you really don't know when it's going to end. And, and this is all to say that, like, I, have, I don't have solutions to any of these problems. I worked with a lot of these consulting companies, and I've been doing this for 50, I just got a thing on, I, saw, I got a thing on Facebook today, said, Jeremy, congratulations, you've just achieved 15 years with Valeris. <laughs> and I was like, my God. 
I've been doing this for 15 years. Yeah. Um, but well, I, have, I don't have any answers to this. And I don't, as far as I can tell, no one has any answers to this. Now, Nick, maybe what, you know, and I don't know if what you guys are doing really addresses those things. I honestly don't see how it could. It's just, if, if you're in that model, you know, we can actually, and, and you, and you know, or you think in four weeks, you're going to, you know, you're going to have some availability. You can help me, you know, you can put me out there or, or, you know, um, make me available to people who may need me in that four weeks. Exactly. Right. right. Okay. I mean, I think so, you know, we, pro- I guess, I guess you could say we provide a little bit of a security blanket, right. For some independence, because we have the relationships with the partners and customers and, um, you know, they're what's driving the demand. And so we're, we're not necessarily trying to place you somewhere for six months. Um, we're also not necessarily trying to have you like bid on a project and compete with other people. We're really just looking for people that match the profile our customers are looking for. And it could be for four hours and it could be for 400 hours. Right. So, so the, uh, Uber for Salesforce analogy doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> nah, no, <nah. laughs> I, I, I think you all should talk to Tal Frankfurt as well. I mean, I think he has CRM market, which I think is sort of that model. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he called it the match.com for Salesforce consulting, but, um, you know, I, I think that's our, our models are, are, you know, in, in a large context, sort of the same, but our, our the way we were doing them and executing was quite different. I'm the Uber of humans, bitch. <laughs> and Nick really is the Uber for humans, just Salesforce-related uh, humans. <laughs> Those are the best humans. Yeah, exactly. All right, so John was trying to get into, like, okay, yeah, let's know, get into I, I'm John. I'm, you know, I, this is the kind of work I do. What is, what is the, what's the experience like for me? Well, I sure. wanted to start introducing some of the questions from our Slack community. So Dan G., who, who we also, affectionately call Dang. The, you know what? Before we do that, should we let Nick correct everything we got wrong in the like? Was there anything particularly like that we got wrong in the last episode that you want to? Before we even get into questions, that you want to like, correct or set the record straight uh, or anything? No. Okay. I, I mean, I, right. I think you guys did the best with the information you were provided, which was somewhat intentional, somewhat unintentional. But uh, I think uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather just talk yeah. <laughs> about the questions the folks have and let's right. figure it out. Cool. All right. So, so Dang, we'll call him Dang. <laughs> Um, and, and this gets into kind of what, what I wanted to talk about next, which was, you know, let, let's talk about the individuals, the, the, the people who want to sign up for this. And so, so his, his, he actually has three questions, but they're all related. How does one become a 10K advisor? What does their vetting process look like? And do you need to be an MVP? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I think to that point, I think the, it's three founders to, the, to 10K, correct? And they're all MVPs? The, well, there's one founder, that's me. Um, and yes, I'm an MVP. And then... Uh, be- uh, Becky Webster and Matt Lamb are uh, actual em- employees of the company who have been here since we started. Right. So Matt Lamb is one of these guys that I know of as well, probably just through Twitter. And I'm not sure I've ever Super met him. Super sharp guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so yeah. okay. So, you know, you don't have to be an MVP um, to be a part of the 10K community. That wouldn't scale very far. But yeah, it's not 10K uh, MVPs. <laughs> <laughs> um. And so how do you become one and kind of what's the experience like? What's how, you know, how do you get qualified? So, um, you know, we just launched a, a couple of weeks ago, so we're still working a lot of this out, but actually there will be another MVP joining the team uh, in two weeks um, as a full-time employee. Um, and that person will be our vice president of service delivery. And really that person oversees all of our uh, delivery expert community. Right. So those are all the folks that uh, sign up and say, hey, I'm an independent. I want to deliver services. So um, right now uh, we've had a number of folks uh, apply. We, uh, as I think Jeremy pointed out last time, asked for some, you know, somewhat uh, in-depth information, especially around your web assessor um, ID and your trailhead profile. And that is the beginnings of a module that we have called achievements, where we basically take those and we go uh, figure out what certifications you have and what trailhead badges you have. And so, um, you know, that gives us an initial kind of overview of who are you in the Salesforce community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, what we'll do is we will pick the folks that um, it will, I should say, we'll prioritize the folks that uh, we think have the best potential to be successful delivery experts in the community that are experienced, um, that meet what our clients are looking for, and then uh, they will go through a another process where we will ask for more information. We'll do a, 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 an interview um, and understand more about what that person's experience is. Um, then 
the piece that we're really working on now from a technology standpoint is skills tracking and management because we want to understand at, at a, a really detailed level, you know, what are some of the specific things that you've worked on? So when a customer comes to me and says, hey, I need to use this, um, I need to use live chat, right? Have you done live chat? Um, what, what live chat projects have you done? And who can I find in the community that has that? So a little bit of tagging and just, you know, really understanding what skills folks have so that when those customer demands do come in, we can, you know, basically look at the database and say, who's a fit and start to uh, pass those uh, by the experts. So um, as part of this, obviously, there's there will be contracts that you have to sign to say, hey, this is what I'm going to get paid. This is when I get paid. These are my obligations to the company, all those fun things. Um, but then from there, it's basically bill hours on a monthly basis will send you money for what you build. And so um, that's the, that's the process. Yeah. And to get it, get into that a little bit more. So, so the, the payments and everything as an independent, they're signing on with you, the payment from the client goes through you and then you pay. But see, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's the difference. So, uh, and, and this is a big part of kind of uh, owning a small business is probably the hardest part is getting paid. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, I know it because I have customers and they don't like to pay me. So um, especially as an independent, uh, I know like if you're working with one or two customers and one of them's not paying you, I mean, you're not making money. So that's really kind of, again, part of the security blanket that we wanted to provide is that we're, if you build hours for us, we're going to pay you for those on a monthly basis. We're not waiting for the customer to pay and then taking a chunk of that. Like we've agreed to an hourly rate with you, just like you would with any other company. And when you bill those hours at the end of the month, you send us an invoice, we pay you those hours. And then, you know, if we get, hopefully we get paid by the customer at some point, but um, you know, that's, we don't want that to be a concern uh, for, for our folks in our community. All right. So, so it sounds like, you know, in terms of at least these early times as you're kind of building your, uh, what's the right word? Portfolio of people. Community. Community. (laughs) I don't want to say binders. I I know that's a, <laughs> binders of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it sounds like at least for now, you're going to have to rely on things like certifications and badges and things like that, or at least your own judgment on what skills someone has. I mean, take take me for an example. I've been developing solutions for Salesforce for 13 years. I mean, back before there was Apex and everything. In fact, Jeremy's the one that taught me all this. the The IDs on the API were 15 characters, and I got into a lot of trouble messing that up it was before the 18 character um i guess api change came through right um but i don't don't focus a lot on certifications i don't focus a lot on badges and things like that so so how do you how do you go through the vetting process how do you how do you really judge you know what someone's experience level is let me extend this example because you know Mm -hmm. so take john like he's um really good problem solver really good at you know managing projects um taking client, in their own words, client's requirements and asking the right questions, coming at, you know, turning that into a, des- a feasible design, um, a feasible implementation schedule, and you can just manage that whole process, right? That's not going to show up on, with, that's not going to show up on his web assessor. That's not going to show up in, he probably doesn't, I don't even know if he does Trailhead or not, right? So this gets back to one of these things I talk about. It's, it's almost sounds like checkbox hiring to me, like you're, you're looking for just like these, you know, a count of badges or, or a count of you know, certifications or something like that. And it really, um, it really kind of misses the point on um, how good someone is at actually doing business and working with clients and things. I yeah, mean, I and, agree. you know, that's obviously, there's, there's, a, that's a challenge that everyone has, right? You know, yeah. whether you're do what you do or whether you're, you know, contingency recruiter or whether you're just a company that's trying to, you know, get the best people they can. So how do you, what do you, what are y'all's thoughts on that? How do you, you know, how do you address that? Yeah. I mean, I wish there was a badge for works with customers well, um, but there's not. So bathes I mean, regularly. <laughs> <laughs> we can verify that. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, we, uh, we use really the certifications and, you know, I don't want to go on a diatribe about certifications, but I actually don't find a lot of value in them personally, but uh, actually I prefer trailhead uh, because it proves to me that you've done something. Um, as opposed to just taking a test. That, that's interesting. But, I've, I actually have never thought of Trailhead that way because you do have to do stuff, don't you? You do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess the certifications so, you have to. I mean, you at least have to be able to be good at taking tests. You have to be tests. able to read. You yeah. Have to be able to read. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, but here nor there. Uh, that's yeah. a, I could price spend an hour on that. But 
Uh, you know, we don't use those as necessarily a, a person's full, you know, who, who are they, but they're definitely, definitely indicators, right, for especially certain types of technical skills. Soft skills are very hard to measure from a you know, certification and trailhead badge. So uh, actually part of what's on our roadmap is building our, our own internal learning management system um, to provide a trailhead like experience for those types of consulting skills that are that are very hard to find. And this is a problem, like you said, at every consulting company, like who are my people? What are they good at? What are they not good at? And then how can I match those to customers? It's a very hard problem to solve. And I've never seen a company that solved it well. And I've seen lots of lots of companies. And so really that, you know, we have a vision to try to solve that, uh, which is partly taking external data, partly taking data that we will generate via, you know, modules or training courses or, you know, internal certifications that we have. And then there's always going to be that qualitative part. Like, I just need to talk to you and kind of understand who you are, maybe get a reference, you know, about from somebody that you've worked with. So I, I think that's always going to be a part of it. So we don't want it to be like a bunch of robots per se. Um, but you know, we do need a kind of database way to really have verifiable skills beyond just mark yourself one through four for data migration. Oh, I'm a four. You know, I've done data migration one or two times, right? That's right. That doesn't work. And that's really how everybody does it today. So, uh, you know, we see an opportunity to to really do that. But then, you know, that can extend to if you wanted to have a public profile that showed all of that stuff. You know, we really want that to be something that you can have as an independent to really showcase who you are. And I think, you know, it goes beyond what the Salesforce community can provide, which is you know a, a small piece of that. It's valuable. How many answers do I have? What are my certifications? But again, those things don't say who you really are as a person and, and what your kind of business experience and business value you can bring are. So, uh, you know, we have a vision to try to solve that. It's not an easy problem, but uh, we're trying. In fact, I think there's a little bit of an inverse correlation because, you know, guys like John, and I'll just keep picking on him, stay so damn busy because they're so good that they don't have time. They really don't have time to do a bunch of badges and sit around and answer questions online right. all day. Right. And he's really not that interested in certifications. And so, I mean, you know, he's probably got the minimum. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I've got the developer I, I certainly cert. have the minimum that I, that I, I I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll put it all out there. I have the developer yeah. cert and that is it. And it's just, it's, again, it's, it's so not representative of, you know, his value and capability. And it's just, uh, it is, you know, this is a tough problem because again, what do you do? I mean, other short of, I mean, I guess the, here's the things you, you could do. Like you said, you check references and that's even kind of, that, that's tough. But I mean, like, you know, think of when you hire like software developers. I mean, really the best thing to do is look at code they've written. Right. Um, and, but really the best thing is to just um, like a contingency hire. Like, okay, you know, it's, a, what, is that what it's called? Or not a contingency hire, a, uh, um, what's the per- probationary hire or whatever? That even sounds bad too. But it's basically, hey, you know, we're, we, we'd like to bring you on for a few months um, and see how you work or whatever. That's, that's really common. And, I don't know, man. That's um... yeah. I mean, I think for us, you know, uh, we just got to use our gut to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you do it for long enough, and you kind of know what the warning signs are, and you know the questions to ask, and, and and those types of things. So, you know, we feel confident enough, and I'm sure there will be people that slip through that, uh, you know, maybe don't meet our standards. But that's why we have that broader community, right? And that's kind of the value proposition to our partners is. Okay, so I'm sorry we let this one slip through the cracks, but we have somebody else who can step right in, right? Whereas if they hired that person and it didn't end up working out, they're starting from square one, right, in the middle of a project. So, um, I, I would I'm open to suggestions of. I mean, if you have uh, any suggestions on how we should do that, I'm I'm totally open. It's it's a hard problem to solve, <clears throat> and I mean this is why I've always said like you know quality consulting doesn't scale. It just it's and, and which is kind Very of hard. flies right. in the face of what you guys are trying to do. And, and in fact, even your name, 10 K advisors, right? I mean, you're, you're, what you're saying is, Hey, I'm going to try to prove you wrong on that. And that, that's interesting. I, I, it'll be, it'll be interesting to, to track your progress, but um, I didn't have a minute ago, just kind of a more nuts and bolts question. Do you guys paper like the project? Like, do you, or do you, are you just simply contracting for labor basically to the client? Pretty much everything's time and materials. I mean, we, we, uh, most of our clients prefer that because it helps them scale up and down on demand. And we have some clients that keep folks on retainer, like, Hey, I really like this person. I, I want to keep them, you know, full time for X number of months. We do have clients that do that, but mostly it's, it's time and materials just because they'll, they might have projects starting and ending at different times and have different kind of capacity demands. And so then we pay our, uh, experts really the same way. So, you know, it's basically we pass through the hours that they bill to the customer and then we pay them for those hours. Okay. Um, but you wouldn't, so to be more concrete, like if a, if a 
customer says, you know, we want a, you know, a mobile app built for that does X, Y, and Z. And you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't then say, okay, well, that app's going to cost you, you know, $250,000 and uh, we'll, we'll sell you that app. Well, we'll do that. You, you're, you're more like, Hey, we will, we will staff you with these types of people, but the project is yours, not ours, basically. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's a little bit of both. I'd say we do more of the latter. Uh, we definitely do some direct customer projects. I mean, we have, direct customers that are Salesforce customers that, uh, that we do work with and they do ask us for stuff like that. Um, but in, in that case, then yes, we're going to manage the project, right? I mean, most of our partners that we work with, we're not managing the project. They are, uh, but we manage the relationship and we manage really the, the communication and everything going back and forth. We're not just kind of throwing people to the wolves, but we do have direct customers that we do, uh, you know, uh, capital projects like that with, um, and we use the community to staff those as well. What kind of, um, what kind of, you know, non-compete, non-disclosure, non-solicitation, or whatever uh, do, do do you know? Do your advisors have to sign when signing up with you guys? Right. So, I mean, we have an independent contractor agreement. It's a pretty standard independent contractor agreement that um, our our experts sign uh, to to work with us. And basically, it's just two years. They can't work directly with any of the clients that they worked with through us. And okay, that's and to it's, protect. So it's, protect it's, it's limited from, to the clients they worked with, right? Through you yeah, guys, exactly. okay? Because right. you know, I've had, I've seen these things where you know, they say, "Hey, you can't, you can't for two years work with any of our clients." Well, I don't even know your. You have hundreds <laughs> right. of thousands of clients. I don't know your clients. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and by the way, they refuse to give me, they give you their client list. Well, give me, give me your list, then, so I know who not to work for. Right? They won't do that. <laughs> it's like, how am I supposed to abide by this contract? And yeah, I mean, we don't. We 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 are a business. We're here to make money. Obviously, I mean that's that's how we all pay our bills. But um, you know, I don't want to be punitive to folks. We really want people to like the experience so much that they want to stay, versus like trying to find ways to go around it. Which I think in the model that you guys were talking about before, where um, you know it's just kind of connecting people. I think you do see that a lot, where people just try to get around the system. Like it's like Airbnb, for example. You guys use Airbnb. Yeah. Yes. Well, Jeremy does. I'm I'm creeped out by it. So is my wife. I, so I think there's a bunch of cameras everywhere. So, <laughs> well, there are. That, that's the fun part of it. You're not a, you're not a voyeur, John. You just have to embrace your voyeur's you know side. No. Airbnb <laughs> do a little dance with a camera. <laughs> they make you do all the communication through their platform, right? And right. you know, if you try to enter in phone numbers or email addresses or any kind of that stuff, you know, they're stripping all of that out, right? Because their whole value proposition is connecting you with those people, but then taking a cut of that. Right. So, yeah, right. um, you know, if they can't take their cut, then they've just connected you for free. And so, uh, you know, I think there are other things like that. We're not necessarily trying to do that. Right. Yep. So okay. an add on to, to Dang's question, <laughs> uh, comes from Jay Jarnathanen. I hope I said his last uh, name, right. Um, I always know him as Jay, but, but, his add-on to that is how how does this differ from someone like Mason Frank, who's always just trying to, you know, ping people and staff people? Are are you guys actually going to go out and try to try to recruit people, or is this more of kind of a, you know, these are the people that have pinged us that they're interested in this type of thing? We vetted them. It's it you know. So uh, I think the difference between us and them mainly is they're kind of I don't. I don't uh, I don't want to speak to them personally, but they're kind of a dumb staffing agency, right? Um, they don't, they're not Salesforce experts. They're experts in, you know, some other things. Um, they're experts in staffing actually is what they're experts in. Right. But, and we see that a lot um, in the Salesforce community, the, the kind of checkbox hiring where they just kind right. of blast anyone who says has Salesforce on their LinkedIn profile and say, right. Hey, I've got this opportunity. And, and that's more for like the six month contract to hire or like, uh, maybe, uh, uh, like a three month kind of contract kind of stuff or really full time positions that I think companies are trying to hire. And they're, like you said, they're just carpet bombing, right? They're going out and trying to find anybody with Salesforce on their profile um, and just get them connected. And I mean, they're incentivized to get those people hired regardless of kind of the quality of the candidate. So uh, I don't, I mean, there's a place for that. Uh, you know, I have no problem with that business. I mean, people find value in it. Obviously those are huge customers. Robert Half, for example, is the same and they're a huge Salesforce customer, big, big company. Uh, you know, I think the difference is, you know, they're going to connect you with that person, but then it's kind of up to you to make it work. Right. Um, so let's say, you know, Jeremy, that you're looking for a developer and I find you somebody and you interview him once or twice, you like him. So, okay, you're going to, he's going to work for you for six months now and you're paying for him, you know, whether 
you like his quality or not, you've, you've agreed to do that. So um, at that point, I'm, you know, as a crew, as a recruiter, I'm going to kind of step, step away. I might check in every once in a while just to, you know, kind of see how things are going. Um, because again, I don't get paid as a recruiter unless you keep him. And so, um, but I'm not going to really provide any other value to, to you other than that, right? Just kind of checking in and, you know, the next time you need somebody, I'll, I'll help try to hook you up. Um, we actually have uh, client partners that are in between. Um, uh, they're basically, re- re- they're, they're like customer success managers, right? We actually run our business very much like a Salesforce kind of SaaS model. Um, we don't do huge capital projects where, you know, like a lot of consulting companies, you do a hundred thousand dollar project, you get 50 grand up front, you get 50 when you, when you finish. Ours is more kind of like, you know, I might get 40 hours from you this month. I might get 400 next month. I might get 20 the next month. And so really those long-term partnerships are, are kind of what uh, pays dividends for us. So it's really important that our customers are successful using our people uh, or they won't stay with us and they won't continue to pay us. And basically we invested a lot of time to get them to not, to not, uh, make a, make a profitable business out of it. So that client partner that sits in the middle is really responsible for, you know, number one, making sure that the customer is successful. Um, you know, the customer might say, Hey, I need two developers. Well, that client partner might look at that and say, Hey, what you really need is a a 10% TA and a 25% tech lead and one developer. And so, you know, they're there to help, you know, make sure that the customers are asking for the right things and that they're getting the right things for what they actually need being a consultant, right? Not just being an order taker. And then the second part is making sure that um, all the folks in our community that are working with those partners are onboarded to that partner. You know, different partners have different ways of working, different clients have different ways of working um, that, you know, those folks are meeting the standards that they're supposed to be meeting. And um, uh, basically that everybody's successful in the whole transaction on both sides, uh, because that's the only way that I think that people are going to continue to work with us. So, I, that's probably our main differentiator from a recruiter. I mean, I think we have other uh, aspects that we are building as well that will be differentiated, like training, uh, you know, having that kind of centralized profile. But uh, that's probably the main difference between our businesses. So to clarify, make sure I understand this, you, you'll you actually tell your, your customer, okay, I heard what you... I heard what you said you needed, but let me recommend a better mix, a different, slightly different mix of people based on what I think your project is doing. Sure. I mean, we have, we have some customers who are, I mean, Imperial is a customer of ours. They, they use folks from our community um, quite a bit and they're, you know, they pretty much know what they need uh, because they're, they've been doing it for a long time. Right. But we have, for example, some ISV partners who are an integrated ISV, right? They kind of had a product already that came to Salesforce. They wanted to build a Salesforce app and integration for their product, but they don't really know how to build it, right? I mean, they think they did. So they usually build a first version and then they usually come to a partner and say, hey, like we're stuck. This customer wants this. We can't do it with how we built it. So in those situations, they're like, hey, I just need a Salesforce developer. Well, really what you need is somebody to manage the product for you. And so, um, you know, that's part of that client partner type relationship where, um, you know, we're not just letting the client who might not know Salesforce very well kind of shoot at a developer's feet, right? We want to make sure that there's a support support structure there in place and that um, both sides, again, are going to be successful in that. You know, it's actually kind of strikes me that when you talk about, you know, your existing clients, because I, I, for some reason, got the sense that you guys have just started, but it sounds like you've, you've actually been around for some amount of time. So, so Trek Ben was here uh, first. And so I'll give you a brief history of that. So, um, uh, the two guys that founded Trekben, um, a guy named Santosh, a guy named Srinivas, uh, based in India, they were my actually like doing development work for me in like 2007 through 2011 um, when uh, I was at a company called InfoWelders. And so um, I knew those guys. Uh, they did great work. And we sold InfoWelders to Aperio in 2011. And those guys kept kind of doing what they were doing. Well, uh, two years ago, actually, it's almost exactly two years ago, um, they had approached me and said, "Hey, you know, we've we've got a good business, but we have nobody in the U.S. and we'd really like to work with you because we worked with you in the past. And you know, would you be interested in kind of starting TrekBend U.S.?" So ultimately, I did, and we gained a lot of the partner relationships over the last couple of years through that. And so. Basically, the launch of 10K is really the rebranding of TrekBend US, right? So it was an existing company. We've been working with these folks for two, uh, two years or more. Um, but now we're kind of renaming TrekBend US um, 
to 10K and then TrackBand India stays as its own independent entity. That's interesting. So that brings up just another thought. So for um, for your customers, you know, domestic customers, are you going to be, you know, renting them offshore resources? Is that an option for you? Oh, yeah. It's actually, I would say right now, um, that's probably 90% of what we do. Okay. And, um, you know, most of these partners have either had um, unsuccessful relationships with um, uh, outsourced development partners before or don't like the one they're working with or just no, never really knew how to be successful at it. And so, you know, that was part of like as part of TrekBin, you know, obviously we're not just trying to go out and sell a bunch of people. Again, we were trying to make sure that that partner or that customer understands the best way to work with uh, outsourced development because it's it's different than working with people who are sitting right next to you in the cube, right? And especially when you're a half world away with a language barrier and a time zone and cultural differences. And so um, that's really kind of our heritage is helping companies be successful with that and helping to grow the Indian Salesforce community. And so, uh, you know, what we saw is a lot of our customers asking us for, okay, we're, well, we're really happy with the folks working on the project, but you know, I need, I really need a BA. Do you have one of those? And we'd have to say, well, no, we're just kind of this little, all we are is kind of Indian development resources. And so that was, you know, part of the genesis of why we wanted to start expanding it into a, a broader base. So, so it sounds like that was kind of your labor pool to start with, but it sounds like 10K is trying to expand that and kind of create more of a presence in the U.S. And to that point, what is the price point that your clients are looking for? Are they coming to you and saying, hey, we want someone really good, but they have to meet this price point? Or is it they really want someone who's really good? We don't really care what they cost, but we want we want to make sure that this project is successful. It's an interesting question. Uh, I think we get both. Um, uh, we definitely get both. Uh, I would say there's, there's more uh, folks that are just like, hey, we need people. And as long as the price is reasonable, like we're not going to argue with you too much because... You know, ultimately, like in some of those cases, like we've already signed the contract for the project, we need people to staff it. Um, so as long as it doesn't lose us money, then yeah, let's do it. Um, so you get some of that, but um, you know, they're definitely, especially larger customers, are obviously very uh, price conscious. And uh, so, so, you know, so let way- me let me ask yeah, this this kind of direct question. So I, I know that some of the the larger partners out there who have you know highly skilled talent will charge upwards of two fifty to three hundred an hour for a resource or person. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about the resource. Jeremy's giving me the look. Where's the whip? Um, yeah. <laughs> do you have a whip on the, you don't, don't have a whip, do you? I have a whip. You don't have, he doesn't have the whip. So, so, so given this. that criteria, it, you know, if someone <laughs> says, you know, I'm worth 250, 300 an hour, are those the type of people that your, your clients are looking for? Yeah, definitely. Um, that they're billing out for 250. I mean, those are the, those are the exact people that they can't find. Right. I mean, those are the folks that are most in demand. Uh, that's why they can charge those rates. Right. Um, so they are definitely looking for those types of folks. Uh, I would say not as it's funny because um, I would say I don't have as much demand for those folks where partners are approaching me. But in the instances where I'm like, hey, I have this person, I can pretty much always find somewhere for them to go if they're really good. And so, um, you know, I, I think uh partners are obviously in business too to make money and so uh, they they have certain price points that they're trying to hit and certain margin targets that they're trying to hit but uh, we're actually trying to be fairly reasonable about um the rates that we charge and the rates that we pay i mean again i've been in a consulting salesforce for 10 years i know the rates i know what people charge i pretty much know what people cost um, and I know that independent consultants aren't necessarily just going to take a haircut on what they can go charge somebody else just because they're working through our community. And so, um, you know, we right now, our target rates that we pay our actual experts are anywhere between 80 and 150 bucks an hour. Um, they, that's all hourly time and materials and based on, you know, the kind of skills that they have. And you don't have a lot of independent consultants that are out there billing at 200 or 250 bucks an hour. Um, so, you know, the feedback that we've gotten from the folks that have worked with us so far is that that's more than fair. And, um, you know, that still allows us to make a little bit on top. Um, and it's still a reasonable deal for our partners as well. So the the guys I knew that are, that are charging, you know, 200 or up or they're, you know, at that point they don't really, they don't need to go through any kind of network. Exactly. Exactly. They're just there on that. I mean, I know a guy who does, he, 
his goal every year is to maintain three 20 grand a month retainers. And, and it, it, these are with large companies, which is, which is kind of weird because when you said when you were talking about, you know, large companies, are the ones that are looking for less expensive people, I thought, well, that's interesting because this guy I know, he only works with the lar- pretty much the largest companies, but he's got these basically, I mean, they're about the 20K a month retainers. And it's just for, you know, they want him. So and he's a strategist guy, but he's technology. And, um, you know, when they, when they, you know, need starting a new project and they need help with strategy or whatever, you know, they, and he still, he can still build software. I mean, he's still, a, you know, very smart software engineer, but he doesn't, I mean, they don't pay him just to sit around and build software. It's, it's kind of higher level stuff, but, but, you know, it's big companies only. And that's, that's kind of his, his, um, price level, which is high. <laughs> yeah. I need to get there. That's my goal. <laughs> Sounds like a decent game. Actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I think one of my concerns that I'm, that I mentioned in the last podcast is do I get to dictate the rate or is it pretty much the rate is set? Yeah. Uh, you guys so come you, to us and you, say, Hey, I've yeah. got this opportunity. It's, you know, this is the rate. Are you willing you would, to take you, it? You would sign a flat, uh, like a rate agreement with me. Um, and basically I'd say, look, this is the rate that we agree to based on your skills and based on kind of where I can position you with partners and what rate bracket I charge partners for that. So mm-hmm. I think there's always an opportunity for that to change. If, for example, you increase your skills or, uh, you're, you know, getting great feedback from clients and I can put you into a kind of a different tier of, of, uh, uh, of what we would bill you out at, but, um, it, it would be all an agreed upon rate. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds good. Yeah. And, and how much consulting do you do with someone as an advisor to come in? I mean, there, there's a lot of people who, even in our community, who are looking to go independent, who have a full-time job but are wanting to test the waters on being an independent. You know, h- how much do you kind of work with them to kind of just say, you know, if, if you did X, Y, Z, I can get you this rate and that would set you up? That's or, a perfect kind of, you didn't even know that we were doing this, but that's a perfect question for... Uh, really something that I've been thinking quite a bit about uh, for the for probably the past year or so, which is, you know, how do you take So I guess kind of stepping back even, you know, Salesforce has changed the careers of so many people that never expected it to. Right. Right. Uh, I just saw a tweet person, on someone who was a school secretary who was touting, you know, how much they've accomplished being a Salesforce consultant. It's, it's awesome. Right. I mean, yeah. you hear those stories all the time and, uh, you know, personally I'm, Maybe it's not as dramatic, but I was one of those stories. And so, um, you know, I, I really uh, take that to heart. And so I, I think, you know, I have this idea or this concept of admin to entrepreneur, right? How can we take these folks and really kind of provide that same kind of opportunity that Salesforce provided to them when it came into their career? And how can we take those folks that are maybe doing some side work or interested in doing side work who maybe want to start their own business at some point? Um, and how can we kind of coach them through that? Not just the here are the skills that you need, but like, you need to go get an accountant and you need to form a business. And here's how, here are the things that you need to think about from an insurance perspective and like, like all that, the whole gamut. And so um, I actually had thought about submitting a talk for Dreamforce this year and just kind of with the launch and everything got caught up in it. But it's definitely an initiative that um, you'll see from us at some point in the future where we will be proactively trying to help folks that want to take that path uh, achieve the things that they need to do to, to do that. We have some more questions from we need to get through from our our Slack team here. So um, uh, let's see. Did you do Jeff Lenz? Uh, he, he he would like to hear more about your plan to create more TAs. He says that's a big animal to take on, and what is the benefit outside outside of looking better as a partner? He says if they are all independents, how will how will you push them to work on being a TA instead of building hours or billing hours? Sorry, that's interesting. So. I guess the last part of that question is, um, unlike a traditional services company, I don't really care about utilization because I only pay for what I use, right? So I'm not necessarily like focused on, hey, you need to bill 30 hours this week and don't spend 20 hours doing training. Like that doesn't really matter as long as you're kind of meeting any obligations you have to me. Then you know we're cool. Uh, I think the benefit to us in building a community of TAs, and yeah, it's a huge bear, it's a huge problem. Um, is it's the most in-demand skill and type of person in the community. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's the most in-demand maybe certification, you would say. Yeah, I would say... Ro- I, I, would I assume say we're talking about the sales, the official no, Salesforce TA. No, no, you're not. Okay. And, no, I, I say, and I don't know what Jeff was talking about here. I wish yeah, I, well, I, because I we had an earlier episode where we, we pretty much said that Agile's killing the TA. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. 
Well, you remember last episode was my first, so I missed that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I look at like what our partners are trying to do, what our customers are trying to do, uh, this, the types of folks that they're lacking, and this speaks to why your, your friend can go get 320 uh, grand a month retainers, is that architect, the person that can really uh, look at things from a higher level and bring it all together and help them plan, um, you know, huge initiatives uh, in a in a very uh, well thought out way. And so, um, you know, I think it's number one beneficial to our community and our partners and our customers if we have lots of TAs as part of the community. I think it's beneficial to those folks who want to be TAs who right now don't maybe have a path other than like a couple study guides from Salesforce and some really good blog posts, but like. There's, there's nobody there that's really keeping them on a path per se. And so, um, you know, this is a huge investment for us. It's a, it's a gamble for sure. I mean, you don't have to necessarily, you could go through this whole program if you wanted to and never bill an hour for 10 K and that's, that's up to you, I guess. But, um, you know, for us, I think for the community at large, it's a, it's a, it's a great benefit and it's something that even Salesforce isn't doing right now. So, um, if nobody else is going to do it, then we're going to take a swing. So is your vision that that you would kind of provide educational resources for people to become TAs or right. is it because there's a, there's a significant cost with becoming a certified TA and I know they've broken up the tiers. Used, he just said he's not talking about necessarily certified TAs. We're just talking right. about that body, do, do knowledge, want, that, that skill. Do we want to get okay. back on the topic of certifications. Well, I mean, I mean, a lot of people, they do they do that checkbox. They want the certification. Right, of course. And, course you know is is there a path for education to that i think if you if you know if you want to do the certification that's up to you um and uh, certainly i think we would want to help you check all the boxes that you need to check to be prepared for that but that's not necessarily like you can go to like a stony point i guess or some company that does salesforce training i'm sure and probably uh you know take a bunch of training courses to get uh, prepared for the actual certification that's not necessarily what we're looking for um i think being a TA is much, uh, much more than just knowing Salesforce technology, right? It's things like being able to go into a room with executives who are already skeptical of you and, um, you know, painting out a vision for them that they buy into. It's, you know, being able to effectively present. It's being able to effectively communicate. It's being able to uh, really think about things in ways that other people haven't thought about them. And so, you know, while the technology part, I think, is easier to train and there's probably a lot more of the kind of technology training piece of being a TA out there. I think it's also it's about more than that. And so, you know, that's I think where we can add more value to those folks that want to take that next step. Uh, you know, I've, I've mentored and coached quite a few uh, technical folks in, in my career. And, you know, I think that's usually the biggest fear for them. Or I think that's where they feel the least confident or, or in is in taking that next step from being a good technologist to really being someone who can, um, you know, lay out the vision that they might have in their head uh, to folks and get them to buy into that. And, man, pretty- and how do you judge that? That is tough. That's yeah. why I'm so skeptical of Salesforce's TA thing. It's like, yeah. that's just, you know, to put someone in a room and with some people and, and just, well, it, you know, it is, it. I mean, to their credit, it is a fairly um, small group. Not too many people get it. A lot of people try for it and they don't get it. Well, they, they don't train you for the kind of presentation part. They expect right. that you already have that, right? right? And that's when you go in for that final interview um, for for a day, they're grilling you. And if you, if, if you weren't prepared for that, then obviously you're not going to pass no matter how good of a technologist you are. I'm but just, again, they're not, they're not preparing you for that. Personally, I'm just not prepared to hand over $6,000 to Salesforce to get the stamp of approval. I, I know how to do that stuff already. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't need Salesforce to tell me I know how to do that. I think that's what you're you're not trying to do. You're not trying to say that, you know, oh, they got the, the Salesforce credited, you know, TA role. You're actually looking for people who actually can perform as a TA. Right. And, and maybe let's just even say architect, right? Because I think there are different flavors of TA or solution architect or, you know, business architect. Uh, you know, I think just being able to be involved in technology architecture, I think I've I've met a lot of different kind of quote unquote TAs over the years. And I think they all have strengths and weaknesses, right. Um, Or specialties and things that they're really good at things that they're not as good at. So I think for us in general, it's just, it's really that person who can guide a large program um, who can communicate well about uh, very complex problems 
And, you know, we, we really want to teach a lot of people to, to do that. Because I think there are a lot of people that have that in them. Uh, they just never maybe had anybody uh, be proactive about trying to help them develop that. Yeah. So I want to get to our, well, we, we had one question I think you already answered, and that was from Brett Nelson. It was kind of, what kind of projects do you, do you have lined up or are targeting? And I think you kind of answered that. It's kind of that mid-range target. Well, you said that, John. You 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 kind of asserted that, but I don't yeah. think we ever got a response. Like, oh, 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 are these maybe you know are these small projects, big projects? Both. Uh, I think we have uh, some larger partners that are working on projects with uh, Fortune 500 companies that are probably multi-year types of engagements. But uh, we also have you know like a lot like Cloud for Good, for example, or an Indium, uh, or you know smaller uh, consulting companies that. Uh, are doing you know smaller projects as well, so it, it's it's kind of across the board. Uh, I'd say for the for the larger projects, when we're staffing people there, we're obviously looking for experience because a lot of times you know people are interacting directly with not only the the partner project team but the clients team, and um, you know I think being able to be comfortable in that context is important. But um, you know uh, we we do it all across the board. Basically, we have partners that are one employee. We have partners that are thousands of employees. Okay. And my, my last question from our community is, uh, this comes from Michael Smith and he says, will 10 K match nonprofits with contractors for pro bono work? That is a very, very interesting question. So I've actually, uh, so if I understand uh, he's looking for pro bono opportunities, um, and I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. I think that's a, that's a very interesting aspect of it. Um, so actually like two weeks ago, right when we launched, um, there's a, there's a nonprofit here in Louisville called the center for nonprofit excellence. And and what they do is they help other nonprofits with all kinds of different things. They're basically like a nonprofit, nonprofit consulting company. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of help them with a lot of business fundraising, grant writing, you know, those kind of things. And technology tends to come up around the edges. And so their president had approached me and said, Hey, you know, like number one, we use Salesforce and we don't use it very well. Um, but we also have a lot of kind of nonprofits in our community that use it. And, you know, we have had this guy doing a Salesforce talk like three times a year and it's always very popular and people are asking us afterwards, how can they can, how they can get help. And so would you be interested in, in helping us? And so, um, I said, yes, I'd be very interested actually. And so I've been talking to actually a couple folks from the community about kind of spearheading this, you know, honestly, nonprofits are not my expertise. I've been around them. I've done nonprofit projects, but I'm not necessarily a nonprofit guy. I don't necessarily know all the inner workings and that industry super well. And so I'm kind of deferring to some other folks in the community to help me understand um, how that should work. And so uh, it's actually going on right now. I've I've been talking to people literally this week um, and potentially getting a couple folks connected to start that. And so I'd say if anyone's interested in that, they should contact me and, um, you know, we'll, we'll work together to figure it out. I think there are nonprofits who will pay for time and I'm totally okay with that. Um, but there are also, I'm sure is a huge opportunity for pro bono work, especially for smaller nonprofits who, uh, might not have any budget. And I'll probably butcher this, but there's some saying it's like, just, just because they're a nonprofit doesn't mean there's not a lot of money going around. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, I know, I know we're short on time and, um, so I, I don't know if Jeremy has any other questions, but I think we've kind of beat this one to death. I think we're, we have a lot of questions covered and I really want to get to some whiskey talk. I got, I got one final one and it's just, it's, it's not even, you know, it's kind of just technical, but Nick, you, you said something a minute ago that just made me think of it. Um, as a person who, you know, might be a consultant for a 10 K, do, do I need to have a, um, you know, an, a, um, an LLC or a corporation or is, am I, is it okay? Just my personal tax ID That's and what, what, what level of uh, like, do I need to carry, you know, a general commercial liability insurance? Do I need, you know, technology policy? Do I need errors and omissions? What do you require? Right. Awesome yeah. Question. Right. Yeah. It's a good question. So I, I would recommend that you at least have an LLC or are incorporated. Um, we don't necessarily require that yet, but I have a feeling at some point we will um, just because probably haven't told the attorneys about it. Um, so uh, I would recommend that anyway. I mean, it's just a smart, thing to do. And, um, uh, so there's that part. The other part is right now we don't require any, you know, or any insurance from our subs. Um, you know, we, uh, have that covered under our policy. So we have errors and emissions that, um, we have with our clients. Um, and so, 
that's actually a clause that we have written into our insurance policy. I mean, we'd get a discount if we required all of our subs to have it, but we don't. So at some point, I won't say that will never change, um, but right now we don't. So right now it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. It's like a three-page independent contractor agreement, probably that you've seen. If you do independent consulting, you've probably seen it 10 times. Uh, it's pretty much like a form type of thing. Um, and uh, that's it. That's cool. A good, that was a good question, Jeremy. All right. So, so I, haven't, I haven't seen I haven't seen you sign up yet, Jeremy. I haven't signed up. <laughs> I've been like to the said, forum, but I, I went to your website submitted. and I didn't even see a privacy policy. Were, were on you it. scared by our privacy policy? I didn't know. So I didn't see it. Was was it there, or did I just miss it? No, it's not. It's definitely not. Um, okay. So uh, we are not that uh, legal yet, I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, we, but uh, it's it's it was a great point actually, um, and it's definitely something I had thought about but did not make it in time. I mean, we're we're not going to necessarily start marketing everybody who signs up to the public or even to our partners without their permission. So just put that out there. You have my word on that, but uh, you know, we, we do need that privacy policy. I, I agree with you. Cool. So I, I hear you're a, you're, so, you're so, from Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky. You know, <laughs> urban third, capital of the world. There's, there's actually a third tap on all the water, um, on all the sinks here, and there's hot, and cold, and bourbon. So I don't know if you've ever been here or not, but you should. You should I haven't. Oh, well, I now you, I, now Nick, I, I want to move to Kentucky. Nick, I didn't know you'd been to John's house before. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm an enjoyer of whiskey. I don't. I don't necessarily have a lot of technical nerdy expertise on it. I just drink it and go, I like that, or I drink well, it and I go, I don't like. <laughs> Some of the scotches, really need, some man. of the peaty scotches, I'm like, I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah, but, I'm not really a scotch guy. Um, but uh, I do love some bourbon and some rye. So do you have like a favorite whiskey or a favorite recipe that you that you enjoy? Uh, that's a really tough question. It's like asking somebody their favorite song or their favorite kid. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I tend to like barrel proof stuff. Um, that actually smooth ambler old scout. I don't know if you've had any of those. Um, they're all kind of single barrels, barrel proof. Um, those are really, really good. I, I do um, a lot of single barrels myself. I, I yeah. don't know. It's the illusion of I'm going to get something different every time, but exactly. it tends out to be fairly consistent. Yeah, I think it just depends, right? Yeah. I and mean, I think, with, especially with smooth ambler, they have uh, a couple. So they actually buy all their whiskey from Indiana. They're one of those, you know, there's that whole section of the industry that basically buys from MGP. Yeah, I, I think people yep. don't realize that they, they have their favorite whiskey, but they don't realize that it's actually distilled by by some other company. It, it's like white right. bat white 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 box uh, PC manufacturing. Exactly. So, like exactly everyone, it is. you know, I don't like Dell's, but like, well, Adele actually built your computer. Yeah, and, and a lot of those get a bad name, but honestly, there are some that are really, really good, and and uh, there are some that are really bad too. But um, so Smooth Ambler is actually one of those, and they have a couple different recipes. One's a high rye mash bill, one's just kind of a more standard bourbon mash bill, but they're they're both really, really good. And I've got a number of those, and you can line them up, and you, know, you can definitely taste the difference between each one. What do you like? Tell me, tell me your uh, what are your go tos. My go-to is Four Roses. I, I actually discovered Four Roses. Um, they had a limited edition bottle that they that they only produce like every so often, and I got every year. Yeah, I had no. Well, it's not the single barrel. It's it's actually more rare than that. I actually got my hands on one, not realizing how rare it was, and it was back in two thousand four. I think it was a two thousand four bottle, and they haven't produced one since then. I went through it really quick, and. And I went back to get more, and it was like I can't find it. I can't get it. <laughs> um, so, but but Four Roses is actually one of my favorites. It's it's I think it's a Kentucky distiller, but it's owned oh, by it by yeah. Japanese. Um, and it, from my understanding, from the history, is that it used to be kind of a crap whiskey until the Japanese took it over and made it. You know what it is today. So yeah, it was actually um, a lot of it was made by Seagrams back in the day, which Seagrams is the MGP plant up in Indiana, um, or it used to be, or LDI is the other the other kind of acronym for it. But yeah, so it was a blended whiskey, which means that it was partially actual bourbon, partially just grain alcohol, and so it was crap right for for a long long time. Yeah, um, and then they've they've really turned it around. I'll tell you the the 2015. Four Roses Limited Edition Small Batch was one of my favorite two of last year. Um, it's a it's a really an excellent whiskey. 
Yeah. Ne- next time I find myself in front of one, I will buy as many as I can <laughs> and I will not go through it as fast as I did. <laughs> I'm just, I'm still bitter because I can't ever find well or 12 year anymore because all the pappy nerds. No. Uh, yeah. It's not out anywhere to be found. That was, um, you, I could get that for, I don't know, like 16 bucks. And now you just can't even, you can't find it anymore. In that line, Old Weller Antique is actually my favorite. It's probably my favorite. Like if you're going to ask me what my favorite everyday bourbon was, it would probably be Old Weller Antique. Now what's the uh, antique? Is that like they're, it's, it's 107 proof. It's usually like seven years old. Uh, they don't age state it anymore, okay. but um, uh, it's really, it's got like a good sweet flavor. It's not as oaky as the 12 year. Um, it's a little bit higher proof, a little bit more bite to it, but it's just a great drinking bourbon. Is it, is it weeded like the 12 years? It is weeded. Yeah. Okay. It's all the same mash bill actually. So okay. this is where the whole Pappy like fiends come in and start. I mean, they're even buying like Weller special reserve. So if you go up the kind of chain, it's, Weller Special Reserve, and then Weller Antique, and then Weller 12-Year, and then Old Rip Van Winkle. You get to the Van Winkles, Old Rip Van Winkle 10-Year, 12-Year, and then the 15, 20, and 23. Yeah. But they're they're really all the same match bill. And so so basically the same recipe. They're just aged in different places. Um, and so uh, that's what contributes to the differences in flavor. So the, um, the, the, the Weller 12, you know, I, I like it. It's a little bit more oaky, but that Weller Antique is a little bit easier to find. You can't really find it around here anymore, but... Um, uh, it's still a really, really good bourbon. Awesome. That's, that's bourbon being delivered to my house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Nick, where can people find you? Where can they, uh, go to learn more about 10 K advisors? How do they sign up to become advisor and, and how do customers come to you and, uh, where, where could they go and, and request, uh, absolutely some, so, some people for their projects. It, Every, you know, main uh, requests for help are through the website, 10kview.com. And then uh, obviously on Twitter at 10kview, LinkedIn. Me personally, Twitter is at hamnick. Um, and if you'd like to sign up, uh, you know, if you don't feel comfortable signing the form and you just want to kind of inquire more experts at 10kview.com would be a good channel for you to email. I monitor that personally and would be happy to respond back to anyone who has a question. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, correcting all of our misstatements. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me. It, yeah. was, uh, it was fun. Yeah, good luck with it. Thanks yeah, absolutely. And Jeremy will be signing up soon, I think. <laughs> yeah. He's giving me the look. <laughs> I'm refreshing my leads page. <laughs> yeah, <honestly>. exactly. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>